Hello, 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 and welcome to episode number nine of Fast Casual, Landa's official podcast, brought to you live today, Wednesday, August 16th, from a whole host of places, as usual, actually, from Ireland, from New York City, and today, Franklin, Tennessee, of all places. My name is Alex Mann, and I'm your host again, and it's great to be back. Um, as I like to say in every episode, at the beginning of every episode, every restaurant has a story. And so, without further delay, let's get this show on the road. Um, I'm delighted to say we have our CEO, Vivian Wang, here again. Um, she's always here. Say hi, Vivian. Hi, everyone. Um, and she'll be chatting with Phil Crawford, the CTO of CKE Restaurants. So Hardy's, Carl's Jr.'s, and boy, does uh, he have quite the background. Phil, say hi there. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on today. <laughs> We're delighted to have you, man. Um, I suppose, Vivian, we'll start with you as usual. Uh, do you want to give us a quick intro to remind us and remind everybody uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah. So Vivian, the founder and CEO of Landed, super excited for today's conversation with Phil. Uh, we're going to be diving into technology, restaurant technology, which is like quite possibly the most fast-paced technology adoption industry there is out there, believe it or not. Um, and I'm just excited to jump into this conversation. I'll turn it over to Phil. Yeah, thanks, Vivian. It's great, obviously, to see you again, and Alex as well from Ireland. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Uh, look, I can't agree more. Our industry has changed so much in the last three years, and it continues to ramp up and grow exponentially because the advent of technology and hospitality has been so neglected for so many years. And it's great for a guy like me that loves restaurants and loves technology, so I'm a kid in both playgrounds, I guess, at the same time, which is awesome. Yeah, awesome, man. And I suppose, um, do you want to give us a bit of a background into like sure. what you do, like the how you've come to where you are today? You know, you got quite the impressive resume, at least I can tell on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. I've made a lot of devil deals deals with the devil to get here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, I've been blessed to work for some amazing brands uh, in my, my tenure, you know, starting back from Yard House to Shake Shack to Godiva and to now here with this Carl's and Hardy's. And I always had a passion for the industry at a, at a wee bit young age. My first job, ironically, when I was 16, was at Carl's Jr. So I've really come full circle. I won't give the how many years it's been since then, but <laughs> use your own imagination. Um, but really, it's like a kid in the playground. I just said a second ago, it, I've had an amazing amount of great talent and leadership to work with, a bunch of mentors over the year that kind of helped foster and create my own style of how I've got to where I'm at now. And through those years, I've been able to play with some emerging technologies as well as some legacy tech and kind of plant my flags as I've gone, which has been an amazing thing because it tells a story of the innovation, not only that, more importantly, how I can give back to industry that's given me so much. And I mean, that's a big thing, like paying it forward, in essence, as part of my, you know, cultural DNA. So amazing. Just, I love it. Can't complain. So um, we originally met at the multi-unit restaurant technology conference yes. in Vegas. We were as we were part of the Startup Alley, and we actually won that, which was very exciting to see. Um, but I have questions about technology in restaurants, right? Because, like you know, everyone watches like the sci-fi movies of like restaurants of the future. You know, we hear about drones. We hear about like, like literal like robot arms. We hear about like robot everything and. We've seen we we've seen it in books, and uh, we've actually start to see it around us. I lived I lived in San Francisco for a super long time, and I've gone through a few different iterations of robot food, some which I liked, some of which I didn't like. And um, 
and I think the restaurant industry like really just is honestly at the forefront of adoption of a lot of new technology because like one of the things I think about is like pace of learning and pace of learning has a lot to do with uh, the pace of transaction. And there's literally probably no other business other than like maybe Amazon's e-commerce business that goes through the same level of pace of transaction that like CKE restaurants go through, like Carl's Jr., Hardee's, super fast, um, ton of data, ton of volume for you to like really know what works, what doesn't work, but it's also high stakes because of that. So like, like what do you, this is an overarching question, but like, what do you think are like the emerging technologies of like today where we're going? And then like, you know, kind of what that roadmap looks like forward for the industry. Yeah, you bring up some great points, but first and foremost, thank, congrats again on winning Startup Alley. I mean, it's when we first met and right, seeing the technology that you brought to the table kind of was, again, one of those catalysts for change. And to your point, to your question, like the industry is changing so much. Like it's completely being revolutionized because of the consumer demand, but also because of who we employ, which typically is a younger individual. And the younger individuals are growing up in this day and age with technology. Yeah. Or, some other folks, again, I won't give my age, kind of grew up in a different generation. They kind of, we also grew up with it, but not nearly as fast paced. So with that, you think about the real time gratification, the real time and instant notifications. I mean, I have three teenagers. Like mm -hmm. they ever talk to me face to face, I'm calling it a great day. Otherwise <laughs> it's, texts and it's texts and texts and TikTok and Instagram and so forth. But like those kind of continual trends will change our industry. You talked about artificial intelligence. You talked about robotics and drones, you know, and different solutions that are impacting the restaurants in order to gain the efficiencies. And those efficiencies are because the way the consumer is demanding their interaction with the hospitality industry. And it may not be face-to-face. -face. It may be in these new mediums we haven't thought of. So we have to keep ahead of those mediums, you know, with the idea landed of how you hire and acquire individuals. It's a completely different way than it was 20 years ago. Right, and scheduling interviews and coming in with a suit and tie, a lot of those are just gone the way of the dodo. Yep. And, and when you look at restaurants, people go in and you want to get their food and they're gone. People want to have it delivered to them and they never just talk to an individual. They want to have a drone. I think some of those emerging technologies will actually shift the paradigm of how our business, business runs end to end. I think you might revolutionize a restaurant might be strictly based off of just-in-time management. We're pulling in different data sets, tertiary, secondary of our own, and understanding how the consumer impact real time the production in the kitchen facilities. Understands how weather might play an impact on a digital menu board. Or you get to a point of hyper-personalization where you, you reference science fiction. I've always keep referencing the Tom Cruise movie, Artifi you know, not, not artificial intelligence, minority report, uh -huh. where everything changes when you hit a building yes. right, and those retail components. Restaurants are gonna go that same route. We're getting more and more information about our guests and we're leveraging that to create a personalized contextual experience for them. So if you pull up into a restaurant or you pull up through a drive-thru, they know who you are. There's tokens, there's notifications. That kind of next interaction for consumers really is where this industry goes. And there's others that have done it in a way, but I think we have a, a unique experience because we're all fighting for a very small consumer set, but the consumer set really is highly loyal to the brands. And that's what we have to differentiate ourselves on. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about um, digital versus in person, mm -hmm. right? So 
digital. So I, you know, way back before hospitality, I was in retail. And one of the things that we were looking at was if we like, you know, digitally, uh, we were looking at conversion rates, right? So going into a store, um, and when I was at Gap Inc, conversion rates of a person to buy something when they walk into any of our brands was 30, like 30%, super high. Can you, I mean, but I bet for Q, for QSR, it's similarly high. And I know same store sales are up, people are looking for it and it's great. Um, and it's nice that like, you know, QSR kind of has like a little bit of the contra to the economic like cycles. But 30, like 30%, when you talk about like online conversion um, for retail, which is like lower conversion rate, it's like 0.5%. But if you loaded a page 0.1 seconds faster, that yielded hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue. Um, I was hearing from one of our clients that a one minute uh, increase in drive-through processing yielded an additional $200,000 in revenue for each location each year. So that's like the type of, I mean, it's absolutely insane to think about that, like a one minute increase, like <laughs> it seems so nominal, but like, so there's like the digital and there's the brick and mortar. And then we have this like hybrid, like you have this like digital, you have digital brands, you have like people who are like maybe curbside pickups. So they have like the in-person component, but they also have like the digital component. Um, like what should QSRs be like focusing on right now? Like how do they balance the brick and mortar experience versus that digital experience? Because you have finite resources. If you had infinite resources, you could do both, but with finite resources. I mean, look, first and foremost, it's gonna come down to the experience and the quality of the product. People aren't gonna go back to a, to a QSR if the product isn't good and they're treated like garbage. Those are the first two things. To me, everything else is ancillary. I need to get you through a drive-through faster. I need to make sure your order is accurate, right? But you also got to feel good about the experience too. And I can put all these different technologies inside of the four walls or outside the four walls in a digital ecosystem or a medium, but it has to create a frictionless environment and it has to be brand specific and brand on. If it's not, it detracts from the overall experience and the product. Like, great, I can go ahead and increase your speed of service by a minute, we'll say the user mm -hmm. example. But if the service is bad and the product is bad, it doesn't matter. You're never coming back. So my goal is to create that trifecta. So in our organization, marketing, operations, and IT have to become the triangle or the triad. We have to be in unison in everything we do because one way or another, it affects all three parts of the triad. And the technology side of our business needs to be a complement. So we talk about some of the revolutionary stuff we've done integrating with AI, right? We've always have to have these benchmarks and KPIs. But we always have to keep them uh, paramount in our decision matrix. How does it affect the consumer and how does it affect our employees? Right. And again, it has to be a benefit to the overall business itself. And whether it be labor offsetting, meaning we repurpose them inside the four walls, whether it be an increase in speed, an increase in upsells. Hey, would you like a cookie with that? Right. Mm -hmm. These all are part of the tangible things of how digital is changing our individual you know, enterprise. And we've seen it. We've seen Store of the Futures with Chick-fil-A, what they're doing, or Taco yeah. Bell, right? We play with kiosks. There's other brands that do kiosks. We talk yeah. about, you know, changing multiple drive-throughs or having an app-only service side or the wall of bags for digital. Like, there's going to evolve. But you can throw everything under the sun that's in the industry inside of your business. And if it doesn't make sense to your business, you don't need to do it. Just do those facets that your consumers want and that you can execute effectively on. 
Otherwise, it becomes too complicated for the business and then the whole thing unloads. So I like I like that you're saying what the consumer wants, like what complements your like your product you have. I mean, you have operations, you have marketing and you have IT. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of people who listen to this are kind of think at varying stages of development, right? We have some emerging brands. We have some that are like, you know, very well established. They have a process. But like, what is your philosophy for knowing like whether or not a like a like whether or not you actually are complementary or if you are being disruptive so like what is that testing framework that you use when from like an it technology standpoint that complements operations that complements marketing dartboard we have a big dartboard (laughs) (laughs) okay so like when you're going into these overall solutions we'll call it there needs to be a highly cross-functional team that can help deliver and build out kpis and metrics and scores and then more importantly, you need to kick those in weighted and against what the consumer might say as well. So in our organization, every time we look into a new technology, it goes through a project management lifecycle process. It comes into the proof of concepts. It comes in the labs. It comes in the early market testing. Before we ever go to deployment, and we're taking iterative steps along the way, is it isn't meeting the business goals and objectives. Is there an ROI? Not every technology solution has an ROI, a tangible ROI. There might be some intangible ROIs there as well. But again, it still has to go back to making those KPI metrics very important for the business. But also, we each of our have our own. Operations has their own, marketing has their own, and IT has their own. So there needs to be a consensus. And there needs to be buy-up at the highest level. These are actually going to move the needle farther to the right. So when looking at technologies you want to bring in, you know, they're our partners. They're not our vendors. Our partners are here to make us move in a, in a right direction. We want to help them move in the right direction as well. So we might have some different nuances because we are a large QSR, that they may, they may be able to bring and help complement what we're doing, right? We know they help complement what they're doing as well in their own journey life cycle. It also then tie back to the KPIs. I go back to the AI stuff we've done, right? And some of the camera technology solutions we've deployed. It becomes a very symbiotic relationship. And again, symbiotic not only with the triad, I'll use analogy mm-hmm. again, but also the, also the partners we have as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think like for, AI technology for one, right? I think that's like, it's like a super controversial topic, yeah. right? It's um, <laughs> like, we, like, I obviously love AI as, you know, landed, sure. but I, we also have a human component and a human overlay in everything we do because AI is only as good as like the people who are training the AI, honestly. Um, and like, we, like, I mean, honestly, if you were to ask me five, 10 years ago, AI treating it as a sentient being is just sounds like too sci-fi. I'm like, oh, haha, like AI, sure, yeah. whatever. Like it doesn't really think. Um, it's just like it's just it's just like a transactional thing. Um, it's not like no. it's not general AI, right? So, in thinking about like some of these technologies that you're using, um, how do you uh, how do you like overlay that human component? Like you were you were talking about like making sure there's like project management processes that there are kpis and like kind of touch points between the different organizations um but like something that i would i think of is like the general manager and the actual operators that are on the ground so you have these operators on the ground they're the ones actually using this you mentioned like proof of concept you know locations maybe you have a set of like 10 locations for your corporate where you're like these are the ones that like i go to um, and I 
get like feedback from these GMs because these GMs have been with us for like six years, six to 10 years. And they're going to really shoot it, like be street shooters with me and tell me exactly like what's working, what's not working and iterate from there. Like what is like that, that um, I think like tactical, like rollout plan for proof of concept that you kind of employ given you're so big, right? Yeah. I, I think one of our key strategies is our partnership with our franchisees. Okay. Right. So we, we do two things. We test it in corporate restaurants, but we also have an amazing franchisee base that really is adapted to technology. So we allow them to partner in the early stages and help kind of frame and mold what these look like. Because again, when you first start off, you come up with these pseudo ideas in KPI, these pseudo metrics, right? And you have to refine them over time because reality isn't always the same as a lab up here on the 10th mm -hmm. floor in Franklin. It's great. It works awesome in a lab, never any issues. As soon as you put it in a restaurant, the whole thing implodes. So setting realistic yeah. expectations. But I think from an employee standpoint or members, which are our most valuable asset, is to bring them along the journey and give them the mechanism for them to give us feedback too. How do we make it better? And we'll be the first to raise our hands and say, yeah, we made a mistake. It's okay. We're learning together on this journey. When we started deploying some of these technologies, yeah, we fought, we fell on our face a couple of times. It's okay. We can turn it off, revert back to the way it was. There's no harm, no foul. But we took their input. So we make their life easy. Because remember, the entire benefit of leveraging AI is so the business can adapt the changes into the market quickly and then mm -hmm. make those informed decisions and then streamline the overall processes, which then leads to enhanced profitability and competitiveness yeah. and so on and so forth. That doesn't work unless it's a full 360 approach. And I think having the franchisees as part of that and the employees is kind of that secret. Because I think often too many decisions are made at a glass castle. <laughs> and they're rammed down these poor folks' throats. Go work in a restaurant eight hours on your feet and dealing with consumers and dealing with everything else that goes on in the business. And they have new menu items, right? And they have different labor issues going on. And they have staffing and then they have product in their back door they can manage their controls like we need to make their life easy with these technologies right they're only going to benefit them they're only going to benefit them if they use them and adopt them and it makes their life easier which is why some of the things we've deployed have done so now if i were to go tomorrow and say i'm gonna rip it all out i would be tar and feathered by some of these restaurants because they want it because it has made their life easier and that's the benefit of this and again back to my previous things we started it also has enhanced the customer experience we get yep. better product out, right? So there is a larger kind of snowball effect if these are done correctly. But it's okay at earlier. If you're going to fail, fail fast and learn and readapt and go. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and yeah, the failing fast is important. And, you know, if you have your franchisees who are all like, it's kind of like you're putting in place this experimentation with different like test experiment groups because they probably have different geographies. Sure. They might be different sizes. They probably have different like local factors, like maybe a college, maybe a, you know, an urban, maybe like super rural, maybe vacation beach town. Cause I mean, there are college juniors literally everywhere and yeah. they all function different, differently. Um, so like, I want to get like kind of creative now, right? So this is like where we're going. And I think probably people can generally predict where we're going in the next like year or two. Mm -hmm. AI is going to become more, uh, uh, more adopted simply be due to efficiency, if nothing else, like even you don't even have to be a technology savvy person to know that to know that you want the bottom line to look better. So probably like that's going to be adopted. 
you know, probably like, a, you know, there's a lot of like play and drive through technology right now. There's a lot of play in like digital brands, how to like better do delivery. I think like COVID probably accelerated that by like five years um, where, you know, pizza shops and like fried chicken spots were able to do it. But then, and Carl's Jr., honestly, you know, you guys were able to do it too because you guys had always had that in your DNA. But now everybody's going to catch up. So everybody's catching up right yeah. now. So there's drive through, like, you know, those things I just mentioned. Um, but like, what really comes next after like the, this, like the near term? Like, what is the come? You, you have your framework when it comes to the product and the experience. Yep. Um, do you have any like magic? fortune teller uh, ball like predictions for where things are going to be more so than five to ten years? Yeah. You just don't throw water on them. You don't feed them after midnight. <laughs> ah, very good reference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I think I think the big unlock is we've changed, we've thrown so much at the consumer to change. I mean, we, we talked about apps and QR ordering and kiosks and curbside and delivery. Right? I think next for the industry, it's really to now take a step and rehome the data sets and really start leveraging data to make more empowered and insightful decisions. We should, most of our industry is not leveraging data like retail would, right? Or manufacturing or, or healthcare. There's so much knowledge in the data to help drive product innovation, site, site selection, labor staffing, right? That becomes the next part because we've now spent all this investment. Now we need to go back and look at margins. And to drive margins, we need to make smart decisions based on that data. So you look at the advent of like quantum computing, right? Mm -hmm. Or we look at edge computing, how much out entering in our industry. These next generation technologies are going to start leveraging the knowledge base of data to make those decisions, right? Anybody can go out and buy a system. Yeah. Or the question is, is what is that longer term benefit? And what are you getting out of those individual systems? You talk about loyalty and a CDP and a point of sale system. These are all different data points. You're bringing in weather, you're bringing in, you know, supplier data. In order to kind of build out a full 360 view that you can put into a model, an mm -hmm. AI, although we keep using the word AI way, way overblown, right? <laughs> you can put projections and hypotheses against it to then determine the future of which way you need to go. I think the industry, again, back in data, has been so reactive to information and not so much proactive to it that it's actually become a hindrance. To me, that's a big thing. We can talk about drones. We can talk about the little robot cars mm -hmm. that go around San Francisco, right? But it, it go, but the ethos, I think, really goes back to the data and sediment off that data, right? We, yeah. We're in the next hyper-focused stage of personalization we're all trying to figure it out. Everybody is from Chipotle to Wingstop to Starbucks. Like, yes, that magic sauce, that magic mix, it doesn't make you just a number, but actually your name is Vivian and they love you and they know what you always want to get and they welcome you. Like, I, I, I've said this a thousand times in podcasts, I feel like the old Vegas days, uh -huh. you used to go to a bartender and they'd walk up and they say, Hey, Phil, welcome back. <laughs> yes. You've got yeah. a one teaming up with two olives. Like, those kind of next generation things by leveraging technology will happen, but the data side of it drives those decision matrices. Yeah. Okay. And I have two points to kind of make in response to that. So on the data piece, um, huge. I mean, I mean, being in the technology industry and in the hospitality, I can say, you know, in technology, we're looking at data like 
every single day. And we're not just looking at like what the data is saying, but the cleanliness of the data that we're collecting, how it's being tagged, like what data needs to be collected, because sometimes you're not even collecting the data that you need to make the decision. Like maybe you're not even collecting longitudinal data, you're only collecting snapshot data. And um, I, you know, in my retail days, like, I, I, like kind of a good encapsulation of this with a concrete example was we were looking at, you know, we have our customer file. We had an executive where all they were responsible for was the customer file, our chief customer officer. Um, and what was this file? It was just like this giant, like basically hodgepodge of information about every single person across all the brands. And we were looking at ways to like target them, like, you know, not just on um, social media or on the phones or on display ads, like that stuff, but real time targeting where they like literally walk past the store and you target them in maybe we have a partnership with Google Maps. Mm -hmm. Everyone has Google Maps on their phone and or like, you know, Apple Maps on their phone. You pop it up in there. You don't even have to have them download an app um, to like, you know, send them the push notification. It can just come through Google. Like how amazing would that be? That's like the dream of every single every single like consumer facing company probably. Sure. Um, so we were looking at like those types of things and it all came down to like the cleanliness of the data and were we able to like target well enough because uh, consumers are really impatient and consumers have like really short like tolerance for being targeted. Like if you were to talk to someone in Europe versus the US, in Europe they probably have even less tolerance for it. It has to be like really good. So if you're gonna do it, it better be right. In the U.S., maybe we have a little bit more tolerance for it. In other countries, like maybe they have a little bit even more tolerance for like personalization and targeting. Yeah. So I think in addition to the data, it's going to be a matter of like how accurate is that targeting? How accurate is what you're doing? Because keep in mind the patience level of the consumer, which is moving in the direction of becoming less and less tolerant, given all like, you know, all the privacy I mean, we walk around and you see Apple with a giant billboard just about privacy. You, you know, WhatsApp being used, Telegram, all these like different platforms just because they have end-to-end -end encryption. Yeah. Um, so, they, oh yeah, go ahead. One thing on that, but I think you're right. I think privacy has a point, but to your point, people will give you information if yeah. they feel like they want to talk to you. How many times have you got an ad for a burger and you love chicken? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. It's yeah. stupidity, but you're right. Like we've gone that journey. We've spent millions of dollars on our ETL air to clean the data before we get it to make those informed decisions. Because the last thing you're going to do is run a campaign. Last thing you're going to do is run a marketing thing based off of bad data or make it and then the whole thing implodes. So, but yeah, to catch up. But I, I agree with you. Like hyper focused, you better do it now because if you're not, your competition sure is. Yeah, for That's sure. And then kind of the second point to that is like you know despite how much we all love technology, like there is like that human, and I love that like bartender example you just mentioned, because at the end of the day, like we want a human to deliver the experience, most likely, at least I do, maybe I'm biased, but like you ultimately want like a human to be the one delivering the super data-driven experience. So, um, you know, I, I get this a lot because, you know, we're in the hiring world. They're like, oh, well, you know, can we just like get rid of all, you know, everything and just everything's automated and, you know, whatever. And even like the most automated, like emerging brands that we talk to that are like robot pizza brands, yeah. even they have a person who's like greeting you to like make sure you feel special and that like you're being seen when you like walk into um, walk into some kind of brick and mortar. Um, and so like, I think that's, that's the other thing is like, of uh, like and that's where the operator comes in too where it's like hospitality at the end of the day is a people business 
Um, you still have, but if you can just like think about what the people are working right on right now, a lot of it is just like BS. Like a lot of stuff that like really a person doesn't need to be doing, a system or technology can be doing. Um, and then how can you just like isolate just like the essence of like that human experience, like just having conversation, like what even is that? And this is like getting philosophical, but like, is it <laughs> just literally like the conversation? Is it like the, is it like, um, like, you know, demonstrating that you like understand or recognize the person or, or even if you don't recognize them, just like having like a good conversation with them, like how much conversation do you want to be having um, based on the consumer's preferences? So like, I think the other piece is like, in addition to data, how can you isolate that human element of the hospitality experience? And how can you amplify that and like give them more space to focus on that um, is kind of the other, like kind of like overarching consideration too. Yeah, you hit a nail on the head. Like the things we look at, what tasks can we automate that become mundane that humans don't wanna do? But at the end of the day, I still want you to get your food with a smile on your face and say thank you for your business. Right, that's kind of the, the the task you look at. A lot of the paperwork shuffling of days, right, need to figure out a way to go away, and which makes people's jobs more enjoyable. Which means they get a smile and thank you for your business, and they're a consumer. So, we look at those things and which ways can we cut down the rhetoric and cut down the mundaneness of a day, everyday task by leveraging new technologies that are out there to make everybody's life easier. There is no magic wand for every business. Not one thing changes it. We've seen robotics in kitchens, right? We've seen AI drive-through. We've seen self-service kiosks. All these different parts are trying to identify different areas. We've seen full automated salad brand, mm -hmm. right? Like they're out there, they're coming. But at the end of the day, a robot isn't going to give you a smile. You might virtually like a little <laughs> crazy little robot looking thing, but... <laughs> it's just not the same kind of human interaction. So there always needs to be that peace in everything that we do. Yeah. Awesome. So I was going to say, like, I mean, I, you guys have been chatting so much here that I've literally not even like a, like a question and edge race, which is kind of amazing. I've really even wanted to interrupt the question, interrupt the flow here. But I did have one question for you, fellas, while I was just yeah. thinking about, you know, um, which is like legacy brands and legacy franchises, legacy restaurants that are not like digital first brands or kind of upstart technology brands that do food as well. And I'm curious, you know, when you talk about leveraging data to make informed decisions, because retail has been, you know, I don't want to say decimated by e-commerce, but it's been night and day by e-commerce, you know? And I wonder, restaurants hasn't been like night and day by e-commerce per se, like Uber Eats and DoorDash have kind of come into this space and changed it slightly, but it's still like restaurants. So I wonder if there were like a lot of like legacy operators that would be listening to this today, given your sort of like take on leveraging data, like how would you allay some of their fears or like, you know, a uh, lot of fire under them, a lot of fire under them to get behind data like as soon as possible. Yeah, right. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of brands out that they may not have the size and scope that we have, but they but they can reinvest minimally in systems. Maybe we have there to have inside their four walls that need an upgrade, or just had to get the information out. It's kind of like a reassessment. What do I have? What does it provide me now? And what doesn't it provide me where I want to go? Take those three simple steps to help frame which way you want to go. Maybe you don't need a loyalty program, but you still want to capture consumer information. Awesome, right? Maybe one step. 
point of sales give you menu mix. You have back offices that give you recipe matrices. You have suppliers that give you data or you know, to order from. How do you consolidate these utilities in one? And there's systems out there and there's companies that can aggregate all this information and basically give you the information in sets that become actionable, right? But it goes back to what do you want it to do for you? What is that data going to allow you to see that you can't see now? Because we can't be awake 24 hours a day and touch every single individual and every single transaction and the overall systems that we don't even know what data is out there. That's what I would look at first. You kind of look at yourself and look at what you have in place and see what it can give you and then kind of try the compliments that it move on, move on that. Meaning if you want to get to a point in the future and you need to add a complimentary system to it, with a minimal investment, which you can afford, as long as it sits inside your ecosystem of what you want your brand to be, then you move forward with it. And there's so many solutions that are out there coming out that fit large enterprise or small SMBs that can help find that niche and get that data so it gets to a point where it becomes useful and actionable. Because again, I have restaurant tours in my business that are third and fourth generations, and they make a killer yeah. burger. Right. That's what they've grown up doing. The moment I talk about a BI and analytical report and how they can track their party delivery and drop off times, they're like, whoa, dude, I just need to just tell me what I need to know, like in a dashboard. So we have to work in the hand in hand. But we found these mediums in data quality to, to Vivian's point other, but then data repository, more than data visualization that they can use with the systems they have in place without having to go out and spend a fortune on getting everything new. It's a lot easier to go out and spend $100 million on the latest and greatest thing in the world. But like anything else, it eventually becomes obsolete and you have to reinvest. Over yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, uh, yeah. I well, have I guess, stuff to add, sorry. but like, on, I know that we're out of time. This yeah. <laughs> Like we could keep going. Um, <laughs> Of course. Um, but I guess in that case, then, Phil, like what would be, I mean, there's so many different, I have so many notes here. Um, I've got pages actually that I've written down here, uh, like so many different kind of key things you said. And I guess like, you know, you talk about like changing paradigms and emerging technology, you know, customer interaction being the real face of change in the restaurant space. Yeah. Like what's a key takeaway here? If it's sort of like, what, what are we supposed to take away from all the, the wisdom you've just imparted on us? I, I think the number one thing you should take away with um, is the consumer the consumer demand for lifestyle changes will end up dictating how businesses adapt, right? Period. That's how that's how it happens. You look at like the work from home culture that's shifting to back to office, environmental considerations that have impact, exclusive like inclusivity and accessibility, right? And balancing of Vivian's point, tech and hum tech and humanity together, like all these things need to be taken into consideration because the consumer is going to continually shift, right? It's just how it's happening. It's evolution. And you better be able to adapt to it or you're going to die, right? People say I'm in a digital <laughs> transformation. You're either transformed or you're out of business. We can name case study after case study after case study that have this proven. It's not rocket science. But you got to have it in your ethos to understand your consumer and how they want to interact with you. Because if you don't, you're unfortunately going to – somebody else will do it and you're going to do that consumer. Yeah. Tells oh. all this time. Like when yeah. you get complacent, like yeah. it's, there's some, someone there ready to eat your lunch. Like literally. <laughs> literally, correct. 
<laughs> well, I think on that lovely gag, I think we can uh, wrap up this podcast today. Um, thanks very much, Phil uh, Crawford, for coming on with us. Um, we really, really appreciate it. Um, you've been a delightful guest, I have to say. I've learned, I've learned so much. Um, and like I say, every restaurant has a story, and we're here to learn the playbooks that built the world's greatest restaurants and how you can apply them as a founder, owner, operator, or investor yourself. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you all next week. Thank you, and goodbye.